0: Today on the podcast, I'm talking to Army veteran Jennifer Green, who is joining me from Tampa, Florida. So, Jennifer, welcome. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you for coming on board. We go back about five minutes. One thing that I really noticed about your profile was you started out as a platoon leader, and air defense, artillery, fire control officer. That's not your typical law career path.
1: Yes, and I joined the Army through the ROTC program, Tom and I wanted to be a military intelligence officer for four years and then go to law school. If I wanted that experience of being a platoon leader, I'd convinced myself that was the way to be a successful Army attorney. But unfortunately, the Army gave me none of the branches off my assessed whatever wish list. I got air defense artillery. And at that time, females could only do the Patriot missile system. So I joke, going, I'm a liberal arts poli sci major and I'm doing rocket science. So clearly I want it out of there.
0: But but you did so that for four years. I did.
1: I wanted to apply to the FLET program, I think the year before I did, but I got deployed as part of Operation Southern Watch, you know, mm-hmm. to make sure Saddam didn't breach the no fly zone. And the day after Christmas, of 2003, we were told that our Christmas gift was staying there till Baghdad fell. And so I ended up studying for the LSAT after operations kind of calmed down for those of us in Kuwait, i.e. the U.S. soldiers had passed far enough north that even if Saddam's crew launched any scuds toward Kuwait, they would fall in the desert and not threaten any of the cities. And that is when I remember starting to study for the LSAT. So I kind of threw off my timeline for a year, to be perfectly honest. But I still squeaked in as one of the more senior flips. And, you know, I don't think it hurt that I had a deployment under my belt for that program.
0: When were you in Kuwait? What year?
1: I was there 03? September 02 until May, end of May, 2003.
0: I wasn't far from you. I was on a big gray thing out in the middle of the Arabian Gulf. We were the recovery carrier strike group, the Nimitz strike group. We came in after the operation started a couple of weeks. I think we went through the Strait of Hormuz on like April 4th. And we were there until September. And it was sort of like, you know, showing up at a party. Everybody's there. You're like, hey, we're here. And then they all started leaving. And you're like, wait a minute, where'd everybody go? So we, I wasn't too far from you. So you got accepted okay. into the FLEP program, and I say you went off to Mississippi College School of Law? I did. And then when did you go to the Army JAG school, as we used to call it, but the Judge Advocate General School in Charlottesville?
1: I went there in October of 2007 for my basic course and graduated in February and got slotted into a brigade prosecutor trial counsel job right away, which was my kind of my dream job, what I really wanted to do. So I skipped a lot. I skipped the admin law, the legal assistance, because I was a more senior captain at that point in time. So that was my first assignment. I laugh telling people, you know, my first case in court with what, like not even a year as a lawyer. And it was an attempted murder charge. It was pled down to an aggravated assault, but that's what it started as. And I thought, whoa,
0: <laughs> this is
1: no joke.
0: Yeah, that's starting off pretty heady stuff there. So you did that for a couple of years, almost two and a half years. Then you came to D.C. and did more litigation.
1: I actually went to the JAG school for the LLM program. Okay. After my time as a prosecutor, I, d- I did that. Then I went to Fort Belvoir to the legal service agency. I worked on Federal Tort Claim Act cases in the Second, Third, Fourth Circuits with the, you know, the local AUSAs for three years.
0: So you were mostly in litigation or litigation related billets as an Army check?
1: Yes. Yes, I was. It wasn't intentional, to be perfectly honest. But really, when you when you look at my career, yeah, I only spent two years outside of a litigation aspect. And that was my time at UCOM there towards the end. Luckily, I like litigation, Tom.
0: We'll get to that. And as we talked before uh, we hit record here, you had already determined that you were going to do a little over 20 and then you were going to call it a day. Yes. You just said you weren't intentionally lining everything up to be litigation, but was that in the back of your mind as far as looking to the afterlife, if you will? Absolutely not.
1: The only thing I thought about afterlife is I never want to touch a government contract. I hated every time I had to look at them. I don't want to quibble over the, what the meaning of the word is, is, if you will. That's probably the one thing I tried to actively avoid, even knowing that pays very well outside of the government. No, I think I just, I lucked into it. I must have been good at it as far as the JAG Corps was concerned, and I just didn't run from it. When it was offered, a couple jobs were offered to me, and I thought that my post-Army career would look very different than what it does now. I would never have predicted I would be at a national law firm plaintiff's attorney. I did not like the plaintiff's bar from my time defending the Army in Federal Tort Claims Act. I was not impressed. And here I am today, heavily involved in litigation. I have a, a case scheduled for trial in Chicago in September. It looks like it's going to go. It'll be my first asbestos trial. Obviously, won't be first chair on it. But I'm looking forward to getting back in the courtroom. It's been a long time due to COVID. But no, I cannot say this was this was my plan. I really thought I was going to go be in-house counsel in a corporation, probably advising on litigation. That's really the angle that I thought that I would have when I realized, wait, my background is so heavy litigation.
0: So there's a lot to unpack there. Your last tour was as a judge and you left shortly after the pandemic took hold of America in 2020. So first of all, tell us about the firm that you had. I I looked at their website because I, you know, it doesn't spell it out on your LinkedIn. So I looked at it on the website. Tell us about your firm right now, what you do.
1: So my firm is the only national firm in the United States that represents and only represents victims that have mesothelioma, which if everyone knows what that is, I didn't really before I interviewed for my my job. And that's for people who've been exposed to asbestos. Uh, So that's all we do. That's our slogan. You see commercials for it. I don't, ha- I don't honestly have cable TV, but when I'm out at restaurants, I see my law firm's ads and that's the slogan. We are, I'd say, a smaller national law firm in the sense, I think there's around 200 employees, maybe 50 to 60 lawyers. We are spread across the country, started in St. Louis, and it's an honor in many ways for me to get to get to represent my clients because I can tell anyone that's interested, hasn't heard this conversation, my clients, if they suffer from any particular crime, is that their parents went to work and they were exposed to asbestos and they brought it home or they went to work and they're exposed to asbestos or they used health products and they didn't know about the dangers. So I spend my day suing the suppliers, manufacturers, distributors, of products that involve asbestos. They knew that they had asbestos and they've made my clients you know, ill and mesothelioma has no cure. So it's pretty brutal. You know that you know that you get to know your clients and they're going to leave you and you're going to end up the case. Every single one of my cases ends up with in the hands of my client's family members. But it is truly amazing for me. And I was asked by a court reporter In one of my depositions, maybe six months ago, who had prior military experience on a break, he had heard that I was been in the military. My client was talking about it, asking me a question because my client was former military too. And the court reporter asked me if I like what I do now, is it as prestigious? And I said, I'm one of those lucky individuals that I never thought my second career would be in many ways better than my first, because my first was that good. Mm-hmm. I loved being in the army. And I can honestly say unexpectedly, and three years down the road, I still love what I do now. I love it just as much as putting on the uniform and representing soldiers or representing victims you know, or the United States government or advising commanders. So, you know, that's what I want to give hope to transitioning military attorneys, because when I went through the process I can tell you that I had a lot of setbacks and disappointments and I, I wanted to talk to you. I mentioned this in those five minutes we got to know each other because if it wasn't for being pushed into an opportunity that I didn't think I wanted, I wouldn't be sitting here today from Tampa, Florida, talking about my transition into a job that I loved because I was too narrowly focused on what I thought I should do. And if it weren't just from some fortuitous events, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be here, and I don't think I'd have the job satisfaction that in a, in any other job that I have now. And I couldn't have predicted it, and so I just want to share, you know, to yeah.
0: tell people,
1: hey, take a chance.
0: Take us through that because I mean I'm going through that right now in my own search. We think we know what we want, but again, the whole reason we do this podcast is because we really don't know what's out there. So t- take us through that process. Of how did you end up here? What did you think you were going to do? And and you know everybody wants to have what you have is which is a second job that they absolutely love.
1: Well, I should caveat that while I love my job, I can't sugarcoat it Tom that my work hours are insane. I joke that I have enough work on my desk for two full-time attorneys. I thought I worked hard in the Army, even as a trial judge. which was long trial days. I got to say, I look at it now and I look back and I laugh going, until you've sued 70 different defendants, all represented by different defense counsel, not all of them, but some of them grouped together you know, and they gang up on you and you're the only plaintiff's attorney in the room, you haven't haven't worked as hard as maybe you thought you had. That was one of my lessons. So be careful. I'm not advising everyone to get into complex litigation related to asbestos like I have, but I do want to say my message is be open to opportunities. So to directly answer your question, I started my job search doing exactly what you're not supposed to. Just looking on Indeed, looking for jobs that I thought were interested, getting emails from Microsoft, Google, the different corporations that were a lot of them that were in my area since I retired from Joint Base lewis McCord. My husband was renovating a house and we decided we would stay put for a few years. We knew this was all kind of a risky situation because COVID exploded on us not long after I dropped my retirement paperwork. And I was applying to a lot of jobs and you know not networking. I had a LinkedIn profile, that was kind of just sitting there, like many people's. And I was just dropping my resume, tailoring it as best as I could. And I kept getting rejection after rejection. I did get referred for a few jobs with in-house, and I remember one being very disappointed. it was it was Alaska Airlines. And it was something connected to litigation and their corporate counsel. And they emailed me to let me know they really liked me, but they weren't going to hire anybody because of the fact that there was no flights going on. So they just could not hire someone. It it kind of made me question, like, Jennifer, could you have picked the worst time to leave the army? (laughs) But, you know, my husband was renovating a house, which might make us money down the road. And I thought, I'm the breadwinner. I got to figure this out. So I, I I laugh about this going, I saw this one job posting and it was actually in Portland rather than Tacoma in Seattle. We talked, my husband and I talked about, well, maybe we could live there part-time, be in Tacoma on the weekends. We could make it work. Like we've got to expand because I'm not having much success finding a job in our area, even with all these big companies. And it was for, it was for a, a private law firm. And I knew that. And it talked about asbestos. And I I was just like, well, that's like asbestos. That job's going to go away in 10 years. Like, There's not asbestos anywhere, right? But I, I decided I'm getting desperate, Tom. So I put in an application. Well, I was so clueless. I'm going to laugh at myself here. I was actually, it was a legal recruiter that was looking for a posting at my firm as someone. I, I didn't even apply to my law firm. And I didn't even realize it. So I got contacted by this legal recruiter that covered Tacoma, Seattle and Portland and she said I love your resume and she said we need to talk though you've got some you've got some errors in it not, not like proofreading errors or typographical but it needs to be organized better I'd like to interview you and see you know if I want to take you on as a client cuz you have a really interesting background and with your judge time I just don't see a lot of that I thought, what? I'm talking to a recruiter. But I ended up going against what I thought was uh, what I was going to do. And I got to say, for me, my legal recruiter made all the difference. She looked at my resume and she gave me suggestions on how to better package all the information that was in there over my, at that point, 13 years of legal experience. She did a mock interview with me and gave me feedback because I hadn't had an interview since I sat down with an SJA at Fort Bliss, Texas as a as a first or captain, I think, a young captain. And he had, we had to do the obligatory, I'm going to interview you to write my recommendation of whether or not you should be accepted for the FLAT program or not. Uh, and before that, my previous interview had been at KFC as a teenager. <laughs> so I didn't have a lot of interview experience. So she helped me get all through that. And then she had several jobs in the Portland, Tacoma area that she thought maybe I might be a good fit for. And to be perfectly honest, I mean, I sent in my resume about this asbestos law firm and she talked about it. And I was just like, I'm not really interested in that. Like uh, asbestos, plaintiff's bar, I, I'm no. No, I think I'm more fitting for the defense side. And you know with having defended the army for three years, I've seen the shenanigans the plaintiff's attorneys do. No offense to plaintiff's attorneys out there. I am one now. So I had this view and I was talking to her about in-house counsel. She had a po- posting, I think for Nike, which is their headquarters is in Portland that I was interested in. And then she had another law firm that was bigger defense that, that she was potentially hiring for. And she kept telling me, Jennifer, I think with what, how you describe what you want your post-Army career to be, you should really look at this law firm, this MRHFM, Google it, look at it. They have a lot of positives and they take care of their employees. She'd place multiple attorneys uh, at the Portland office, not because there was a turnover problem because the office was expanding. And I just said, no, no, I don't, I don't even want to interview. I'm not interested in that job. And She just kept persisting. And we talk about other jobs and I change the subject and say, well, what about that construction firm? And what about this? And she kept saying, Jennifer, I really want you to interview. I think you're going to like this job. I finally said, "Okay, fine, Mm -hmm. I'll interview. Told my husband, I said, this is a practice. I'm just going into this to practice my interview skills. I don't want this job now look at me three years later. because So everybody knows the ending of the story. But I went into the interview literally just for practice. And as the partner that ran the Portland office was interviewing me, she's talking about the public interest, the quasi public interest nature of the practice. And my law firm represents a lot of veterans. When you think about where asbestos was in the 60s and 70s, it was on Uh, it was on Naval ships, Mm -hmm. being built, being repaired, overhauled, just the everyday shaking. It's in army installations. I mean, it's in aircraft, of course, for the Air Force and the Navy. So I have a lot of veteran clients. And one of the things that I had said when I got out of the army was I've been so fortunate with the army paying for so much of my education and not all veterans have that experience. And so I want to give back to the veteran community. And when I found out that my law firm actually files VA benefits for our clients who have mesothelioma, which is 100% disability if service-connected, my law firm does it absolutely for free. Do not charge the veterans anything. Could make a killing. There are law firms that are devoted to that and you know, to taking a percentage of the back pay. But my firm does it for free. And I thought, I like this. That meets one of my goals. And she described the nature of complex litigation and I just thought, huh. So the interview went into a second day. But at the end of the first, I had a feeling that I was going to get an offer and I told my husband we were done I said, I have an announcement to make. And he said what how to go and I said. I know that you didn't even really want me to interview with this firm because he didn't, to be perfectly honest. He thought I was wasting my time based on how I described where I want my career to go. And I convinced him that my narrow focus and my path ahead was the only path. I said, um, I said, if I get an offer and it's within the salary that we can live with, I want to take this job. And his eyes got huge. And he said, let's sit down and talk about this. (laughs) (laughs) What changed?
0: Yeah, so. A couple of things. One, I was on USS Enterprise. Keel was laid in 1961. It was uh, commissioned or launched in 1965. So I was on her from 95 to 97. And I can remember even in that time period, times they were the, the P waves, the passageways would be blocked off with signs of asbestos abatement. They would be cutting in to take something out. And they were still obviously dealing with asbestos then. But back to your story. So what changed that took you from trying to find a job in the Pacific Northwest to Tampa, Florida, going from being an in-house counsel of some sort to working at a plaintiff's firm?
1: What happened was during the interview, I realized that maybe my planned out path wasn't actually what I should be doing. Because the more that the partner interviewing me told me about the nature of the work that they did, I realized this is appealing, and it just feels right. It feels right to help people. And mesothelioma has a latency period of ranging between 10 and 60 years from the time you're first exposed to asbestos. Most people get it between 40 and 60 years later. So you're dealing with people who are typically in their 70s, 80s, 90s. Now, obviously, there are younger people than that get it, and it's very sad and tragic. But just hearing about getting to help people, because one of my fundamentals in all my practice of law has always been, I want to help people. Now, the people that I'm helping might change, whether it was army commanders, you know, staying, you know, left and right limits not to get themselves into trouble, or their soldiers, or soldiers, you know, facing court martial or victims of crimes, uh, you know, all of that. But I just realized that this job combines so much of what I wanted to do in my practice. And it sounded challenging. And I candidly am that type of person that I do not like to be bored at work, Tom. So when I feel like I have mastered a subject, I get bored. I want to do something different. So, and I was a little bit worried because of like everyone's military career, you spend a couple years doing one thing, then you transition, you do another, and then you do another. And my husband teased me when I was retiring saying, you're gonna want a new job in three years anyway. That's as long as you can possibly last in a job. But the right job for me anyway, my experience is I'm sitting here three years later going, I don't want a different job. I joke that it sure would be nice to sue one defendant. I could ace that case rather than anywhere from 30 to 70 on average. But but it was for me it was being open minded all of a sudden it's kind of like a sledgehammer actually came down and hit me over the head during this interview going Jennifer your planned future may not be right. I might have something else in store. And so you asked though so how I ended up in Florida. Well so I took the job in Tampa. I mean, in 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 the Portland office, but I was living in Tacoma. Of course, it was during COVID, so we we're all working from home. So it's very weird. I must admit to starting a brand new, like a brand new job as a civilian attorney, and my in-processing, if you will, using air quotes, was you know Zoom with the HR guy in our St. Louis office and with training from people across the law firm and not meeting a single one of my colleagues. But I was associated with a Portland office, but it's just so happened that the, the partner that started the Portland office was thinking about expanding into Washington. So she had decided to put an office in Tacoma. So when I heard that a few months into my career, my new career, I volunteered, of course, to go work at the Tacoma office because it was a 10 minute drive from my house. So that was pretty nice. I didn't have to move to Portland. Unfortunately, though, during the year I worked out of our Tacoma office, I had an older brother who got kidney cancer, advanced stage. And we realized, my husband and I, that we just did not, we were the only ones living in the Pacific Northwest. All our family is on the East Coast, a few in New Mexico with my husband, that we did not want to be an island onto ourselves anymore. And so we decided to make the move. And I can candidly say that I probably am at the right firm for me because I was prepared to walk away from my job. I was going to move to Florida because living out in Tacoma was not working for us anymore. But luckily, I got very fortunate that they had an opening in our Tampa office. So they agreed to let me to transfer. And so I'm like, if that's not a weird world that you interview for a job that's based in Portland, they open a Tacoma office for you to work there and then you get to transfer to Tampa to be closer to your family. Like that's what happened for me. So that's how I ended up in Tampa.
0: I want to come back to the the point you made about searching too narrowly. I'm interested in that because I'm like, at this point, I feel like I'm treading the ground that you did where I have an idea of what I want to do. And I'm looking at those jobs online And probably ruling out a bunch of jobs, self-eliminating either because I don't think I'm qualified. I don't think I'm interested. And I'm wondering, am I missing that job that would, you know, everything, all the criteria I want, (laughs) pays me something, is interesting, satisfies me. So talk about that a little bit more if you could.
1: I was definitely on that road, but I didn't realize I was on that road. And I just was getting rejection after rejection. So for me, I was getting frustrated with the process. And so when I unknowingly handed off my resume to a legal recruiter, I know that was the the game changer because she had different jobs in mind and she spoke to me. She interviewed me. I mean, I literally, I said she helped me with my interview, but to be perfectly honest, she interviewed me to decide if she wanted to take me on as a client. And it was clear that if she didn't like me, she would not have taken me on. And then I don't think I'd have this job. So, I know I've been asked a few times by other people that have heard about my post army career and they've asked me, how did I do it? And I just said, well, I went unintentionally, I went the legal recruiter route and maybe that's a route for you to try or anyone else to listen. Now, my legal recruiter and I had an agreement, you know, in the sense that we were going to be perfectly honest with each other. And there were times where she sent me jobs and she, you know, and I'd get interested in this one. It was a smaller firm. I forget what they did. And she looked me in the eye and she said, that's not the job for you. They could never meet your salary expectations. It's too small. You won't like the growth opportunities. And I was taken aback the first couple of times, like, yeah, but it's a job and I meet all the requirements. And so I had somebody in the legal profession that had experience on the civilian sector, giving me feedback about different jobs based on what she knew my skill sets to be. I didn't have that before. So I was just throwing applications out, you know, focusing on corporations Now, some people might not need a legal recruiter to do that, Tom, because maybe they have experienced legal professionals in their family or they have connections or they've networked, you know, outside. But she was that honest broker with me and she basically strong-armed me, it felt like at the time, into that interview. Uh, And I think I like, I really do think my phrase was like, fine, I'll do it.
0: So this is, this podcast is an admission by me and other judge advocates who are listening to it that we don't know what we don't know. So as my senior chief on and on the strike group staff, you say, talk to me like I'm three year old. What is it like working with a recruiter? How does it work? How does the compensation work? All those things that you obviously had an idea about a recruiter because you didn't go that route intentionally, but it ended up being a gift. So how does that all work?
1: Well, my legal recruiter you don't pay a dime and everything i've read you you know the candidate doesn't pay when she gets paid or she got paid when i took the job and i my understanding is a compensation is like equal to one month salary uh, for a legal recruiter of placing someone and i don't know if there's like incentives you know if a person stays longer than that But that's that's as I understood it. So when I sent off my resume, thinking I was applying to this law firm, and she contacted me, she basically she I think she called me up because of course she had my phone number off my resume, and she explained that she was I had sent my application to her, and I think I you know I I laughed and said, well I thought I was applying for a job, but it was a big recruiting company, at least out in the Pacific Northwest, and she just placed attorneys and this this recruiting, you know, company obviously placed more than just attorneys, but that was her job. And she specialized in private practice, but she did have some corporation spots too. And she had a colleague that also placed attorneys only in corporations. So she was like, well, if you're really focused on that, then I can pass you off. Um, But we talked, we had our first conversation was a heart to heart. And that was where she told me that my resume had a lot of good information in it, but it wasn't packaged well, not for what law firms would want. It was too jumbled up in her mind. So she took it. She started editing it. She made me make edits. We spent several weeks, I think, just doing that, actually. And then she said, and this, by the way, this was after she interviewed me. (laughs) And decided she would take me on a client. I should say after she called me, she set up an interview. And I remember telling a court reporter at the courthouse, I was like, I'm getting an interview with a, a with a legal recruiter. And it's pretty clear if I don't pass muster, she's not taking me on as a client. I never thought I'd be interviewing to to get a recruiter. But she did interview me. I must have passed muster because she told me she'd take me on a client. That's when she gave me a lot of feedback on my resume. She also scheduled two Zooms where we did prep interviews and she ran me through typical questions that an attorney would get asked. All along the way, the whole time she's talking to me about you know, what I want. And she is probably one of the biggest proponents at the time going Jennifer with all your litigation background, a law firm would like to have you. I can get you at a law firm. She said, this in-house counsel, I don't think you've, you know, necessarily done the right jobs for it. You don't have a lot of the compliance in your background. You don't have, you know, the employment. You don't have the the labor. No, she's like, I don't know any firms that, you know, are looking for cyberspace and Intel law advising. So, but your litigation we can work with. And a, and a law firm would jump at having somebody who's been on the bench. So, I, you know, and... So I just, I started to listen. And then as as we went along, what I mentioned earlier, Tom, is she started to share with me job postings that she had. And it wasn't job postings that she'd put up anywhere. It was literally this firm's coming to her saying, we need an associate. We need this kind of skill set. So it's, she has access to jobs that never get posted anywhere that you would never know about. And she was sharing them with me and she would say, this is what came in today or this week. What do you think? Are any of these interesting? And a couple of them that I was interested in, that's when she gave me like, well, they can't pay what you want because we had talked about salary range. So she knew, you know, what I had in mind and she thought she, she was very candid and told me what I was asking for was very reasonable giving my experience. That's another little feedback that really gave me some confidence, by the way, in my interview with my current law firm to actually ask for the salary that I thought I deserved because I had a sounding board of my legal recruiter telling me I wasn't off my rocker. And I have to say that personally, the least favorite part of my interview was having to talk about my salary. It made me squeamish. I was afraid I was asking for too much. I know it's not fun. So having her like in my corner already telling me, yeah, and and then she told me this law firm can afford you. So don't be afraid to ask for what you know you, you deserve. They'll pay. Uh, so that that helped get a little bit over that squeamishness. And those are the things that she gave me plus that big nudge to interview for this job. Uh, So a legal recruiter might not work for everyone, but having that honest, experienced person that knows about the area of law that you want to break into, I think is absolutely critical. It turned out my legal recruiter was that for me for private practice. But I could see if you have a LinkedIn connection with someone in-house counsel at Amazon, you know, they could be that person if they want to be. So it wouldn't have to take the guise of a legal recruiter, is what I'm saying. But for me, it was a very good experience. It gave me confidence and it gave me that nudge to try something different. And I'm so glad for it because I wouldn't be sitting here today. I, 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 I don't
0: am. I don't believe in coincidences anymore at this at my age, but give us a taste of how you were packaging your resume and the focus that she took you to. Obviously, you know, I'm not asking you to pull it out. I'm not asking you to pull the old one, but this is something that we deal with too.
1: So I had a master resume, I think, which is what they taught you in TCAP, you know, with different bullet points organized by my different career jobs that I had bullet points starting, I think, chronologically and, Along the way, I tried different things for my resume. I had one that was tailored by skill set. And I had some that were tailored by job titles. And I think the one that I used to send to this legal recruiter was by skill set. So I was focusing on litigation. So I had like a litigation section under my name and everything. And I had the traditional resume, you know, name and five, seven or eight bullet points of catching items, you know, top secret clearance, litigation, you know, whatever else, national security law, because I'd gotten my LLM in that. Why was at Fort Belvoir? And I thought that was also something I might be able to leverage. And so I had that. And then I I know I had, and I had like a, I want to say leadership skill set, the litigation, I think investigations, different things that I thought, would be helpful. And my recruiter told me don't ever do that because it makes it too hard to understand what you did in the past when you organize it by skill set, because you mm. have this aspect of this job coming in. I know for litigation, like I had a bullet point talking about defending the Army and Federal Tort Claims Act and how many cases on average I handled And then also under there, I had a bullet point about my days as a defense attorney. But then under leadership, I had a bullet point as a defense attorney, you know, running the office, managing. Uh, And so it was, she just said it was too disjointed to understand Mm. who Jennifer really is. So she made me go back to chronological, you know, starting from my first days as an attorney all the way up to the, the last one. She was like, keep your shorter You know, a lot of the advice that you hear, having concrete, measurable statistics, if you will, uh, in your resume. So how many cases I presided over as a judge? And it was one thing that, you know, that was, she's like, yes, ruling ruling on motions is important, but you presided over X number of trials in two years. That gives a pretty good sense to anyone with litigation experience you know, all the different things that you're doing along with that, how many clients you represented, you know, no, I mean, nobody really cared how many were acquitted or not. I never got asked about that, but that's the, that's the snapshot that she wanted. I you know. And she had me put my education, I think at the end, she's like, let's yeah. get right into your job and your jobs that you did giving that whole picture and you know whether or not that's advice others would give, but it, it helped uh, it certainly helped at least get some feedback get some interest in me that i hadn't been having just by dropping my resume you know tailoring it myself and turning it in online with a job application that it felt like 10 minutes later i was getting the rejection notice
0: <laughs> i just wish rejection notices came that quick i mean it seems like you file for a job you try to build up you know get a connection through the network and then it just kind of sits out there And you're like, okay, at what point do I just keep moving on? And you know, not get mentally invested or emotionally invested that this may be the one, you know, and you hear that too, that you put in resumes. And I think uh, Matt Bernstein, who I interviewed last week, said, you know, he got called a year after he had been on his job from an agency saying, Hey, we want to talk to you. And he's like, Yeah, that that ship has already sailed. What other things would you have done differently? You said, you know, you've learned. If you had an, a resource like this, what, was there anything else different you would have done? What, what should we avoid as we're trying to make our own way now?
1: I would have started a year before I dropped my retirement paperwork because I thought that I was going to retire. I did love being a judge, so I was debating staying longer, but my husband was kind of tired of the Army life and asked that like, he could restart his career when I got done with mine, I would have started networking and getting involved with organizations, You know whether it's like the ABA and some of their committees or local bar associations in my area, I would have joined. I would have gotten involved um, so that that way I started to make connections that I could then learn about the different areas of the law that I might wanna practice in, rather than just thinking, I already know what I know, which is, this is what I wanna do. And I I think Kelly Hook talked about it in her interview and it really resonated with me and I was like, oh, I wish I had done half of the stuff that she did. I don't know, um, but you don't know what you don't know. And I was busy focusing on my career and my family and just didn't invest that in myself, which would have been an investment in my family. So that is one thing that I would tell everyone who's thinking about transitioning or thinking about retiring. As soon as you have that thought that you might do it, get involved and start to get to know people, truly know them so that you can make a better educated decision about what you actually might want to do along with what you might be good at. Because I do feel like I kind of lucked into what I'm doing now in some way. If you're a person of faith, which I am, then I think there might be a bigger hand in it. But I could have done things to make this, the process way less stressful. I felt like I was getting ulcers, Tom, from oh no, not having a job lined up and having to provide for my family, particularly during a pandemic. I could have done some things better and smarter. And that would be my um, suggestion to anybody thinking about it. start as soon as you start thinking about it, because if you wait till you drop your retirement paperwork, you're, you're kind of yeah. some of it's too late or perhaps it's on the cusp of being too late to get connected and learn so that you make better decisions.
0: And I would tell you Kelly Hook I've sp- spoken to Kelly several times since then and she's always a uh, very insightful and very willing to help people. I asked you about resumes for example because I've done the same thing you know a, a good friend of mine said do it chronologically because they don't know when you did it. I hadn't really thought about to the degree of putting leadership and investigations and this and they don't know when did you do all this how long did you do this they they you know where it fits in so it makes sense to you but again i don't have a job so i can't tell you what this successful resume is yet well if that's all you got if you're winchester we're good again you know how many times i know in my own career it was always the job that i never put in for that was Probably one of the more enjoyable jobs that I had. I'm thinking when they sent me to Tennessee, we got pulled out of Italy a year early, sent to Tennessee. We didn't want to go to Tennessee, but the work was fascinating and ended up, you know, moving on to Cuba. So really some great stuff that you provided us today.
1: Well, I hope it helps somebody, even if it just helps one transitioning military jag, because the process feels a little bit overwhelming. And I'm still not convinced that a lot of civilian lawyers value military lawyers as they should. I I still feel like there may be some kind of, not a black mark, but like we have to prove ourselves. My, My law firm had never hired anybody as a military lawyer before they hired me. And so there was some growth there, you know, getting tripped up with insurance and TRICARE, uh, and there was some learning curves uh, along the road. But I like to think that because I'm somewhat successful in my current job, that if a military member applied to my law firm for an opening, I'd like to think that they will now seriously consider them. So the more of us that get successful and do well post-retirement or post-transition, and it can only help future military attorneys get good jobs and get recognized in the legal community as bringing you know high quality legal advice and and all that so i i hope that it helps somebody
0: jennifer green thank you so much thank you for your time and thank you for passing along the gouge on uh what you learned during your your own career progression story
1: all right good luck to you tom
0: Thank you for listening. If you like this podcast, be sure to subscribe and tell your friends. After the Jag Corps is a TJW 50 Associates LLC production.